All right, well, uh, good morning. And uh, awkward is actually perfect because I want to start by telling you guys one of the more awkward stories in my life. And this is our, here's how awkward, I don't even know how to describe it. This kind of is my first date with my wife now, Courtney, um, but we weren't dating yet. So here's the story. Um, we were in the same group of friends. I don't know if any of you guys met your spouses or you have like that, your group friends. Um, and I was kind of thinking maybe this could be more. She was kind of thinking maybe this could be more. But nothing was said to each other. Um, but we're just, this group of friends, we would do everything together. And so um, I, we were living in Redlands and I had to do... Um, I had this big idea of like, hey, on a Saturday, what if we all go to Universal Studios? We'll go to this comedy club called Comedy Sports. Um, we'll do all these things. It'll be an amazing time. Who's in? This is back when you're, you know, you're, everyone's emailing back and forth. And Courtney's quickly like, yeah, I'm in. And then everyone else is out, 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 out. And then quickly I'm like, wait a second. I have this awkward relationship. We don't know what we are. And we're about to spend 16 hours together non-stop. And at Universal Studios, this is back when they had the Van Helsing area, if you remember that, where it's kind of scary and spooky. And if you ever want to really embrace how awkward an unknown relationship is, go through a haunted house. Because it's like, you can't like, oh no, you're like, oh yeah, I'm the strong, like, what do you do? And so my hand has to be like in the middle of her back. I'm like, what? It, it was the worst. And it was, <laughs> it's memorable for all just the painful uh, memories. But eventually, on the, on the drive home, I had enough courage of like, okay, because if you have that conversation at the beginning of the day, you still have 12 more hours to go. And like, I, I just can't emotionally recover from that. Um, and so on the drive home, I'm like, hey, I don't want to be your friend anymore. What do you mean? Like, more than friends. So we eventually had the talk of what, yeah, the DTR, thank you. I was told that people don't know what a DTR is, but it's when you define the relationship. Um, you guys just learned something just now. Um, but what I love is there are always those awkward moments in life that we need someone to just ask the question that is screaming in the room. And more often than not, it's like a four-year-old who ends up asking, like, why are you dressed like that? And it's like, oh, thank you. Everyone's been asking, right? <laughs> We're going to read in Romans chapter 6, Paul has been laying out this amazing, this walking through this theology and the story of God and this amazing work of what the gospel is, and thankfully, he is going to play the role of the five-year-old and say the awkward question that is growing inside of us, and he's going to say, why? So as Paul has been walking through Romans, if you're brand new, welcome. I'm going to catch you up. We're on Romans chapter six. You can turn there now and put your finger in there. I'm going to be heading there in a second. Um, but Paul starts off talking about God's amazing plan, that God desires all people to be saved, all people to come back into relationship with him, because we were created and designed to be with God, but we were cut off from God because of sin, and he spends really the first two chapters giving us terrible news. We use the illustration of painting it black, where the entire canvas of the world is painted black, that you and I, we don't just do sin sometimes. We are covered in sin, and we are born in sin. And if you think you're bad, guess what? It's actually way worse. And if you think you're righteous, it's a double dip, because not only are you um, sinful, but you're also self-deceived. <laughs> and he's like, the whole world is guilty 
The whole world is unrighteous. That's the truth. You need to know the truth. But in the same way, great news. Jesus can save the entire world. And in fact, his death can pay for all the sin and can set free the entire world. And that is very good news, right? You are both worse than you realize, but also more loved and more forgiven than you know. That's incredible good news. And he goes out of his way to say that everyone is justified by Jesus And in a different letter in Ephesians, he says that this is completely an act of grace. We did nothing to earn this. It was never based on your actions. As Christians, we never boast that we are these amazing, upstanding, moral people. It was never about our morality. We failed that test. But we do boast in how amazing Jesus is. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it says, for it's by grace you have been saved by faith. It's not of works. No one gets to boast about this. But we do boast that Jesus is that good. His grace is that powerful. And so for you and I, if anyone in this room is a follower of Jesus, we've been saved, and your life is actually not defined by you. Your life is defined by God. And so don't boast on your own morality. Don't stand on your own self-righteousness. You fail. We stand on Jesus. And he actually goes as far as to say, the worse life and the worse your morality and the worse your actions are, the better and better Jesus looks. Because it's like, wow, Jesus can save that person? Yeah, the cross was that powerful. Yeah, his love is that pure. It's that amazing. It's that overwhelming. And now we need the fifth grader or the five-year-old to ask that amazingly awkward question that we're all thinking for right now. Let's read the text. If you're not there already, Romans chapter 6. We're going to read verses 1 through 11. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So Paul asked the question that every one of us really wants to ask. (laughs) So you can just imagine this child asking the question. So Jesus is God. Yeah, Yeah. Okay. So he died for me. Yeah. Uh, my sins are forgiven, yeah. The old sins, yeah. The, 
The ones in the future, those are forgiven? Yeah, those are forgiven too. And my sin only makes him look better? Yes. And my job in my life now is to make Jesus be known? Shouldn't I just keep on sinning? Wouldn't that be amazing that I just live my life as reckless as possible and everyone's like, oh my gosh, God forgave that and that and that? Like, it's a good question, right? If, if it's God's job to forgive sin, is it my job to keep on sinning? <laughs> it's okay laughing. Everyone's like trying to feel polite of like, oh, I'm not supposed to think that, but like, I know you thought it. <laughs> <laughs> and his answer is No. And what I love is he doesn't treat us like a child, though. He actually tells us why. He's going to give us some pretty compelling reasons why. But before we go into why, I want you to notice one thing he doesn't say. What he doesn't say is if you sin enough, eventually the grace runs out. He does not say that. That question is not a misunderstanding of how much God will forgive. Because I want you to know this. Some of us, we live in shame. We live in guilt. There is nothing you can do, there is nothing that has been done to you that will be done, nothing that will ever remove you from the grace of God. There's no, no, you can't run far enough away from God that you aren't redeemable. He is there and he will find you and all you have to do is turn back towards him. That's, that is the truth and he is not saying eventually God's going to run out. Eventually he's going to say, I'm done with you. That's not, that's not what he's saying here. His answer is honestly, no. Well, why would you even want that kind of life? So we're in, a, we're in a change in the book of Romans. The first five chapters have been talking about the amazing gospel of what Jesus has done for us. And now this is the kind of a hinge in this book of Romans that now we're going to talk about what the gospel does inside of us. We're going to start seeing in chapters 6 and 7 an amazing, you know, magnus opus of Romans 8 of what the gospel is going to do inside of us, how it's going to change our life, how it's going to change our heart, how it's going to change our relationships, and just so much about us. And so the gospel is not just a get-out-of-jail-free card for your sins. He's like, oh, there is a life with God that I've not yet to mention. Let me begin to mention that. All right? So, uh, as he's going through, there's going to be today, I'm going to give you two big ideas he gives here, and he gives one really big illustration. So if you're a note taker, I'm going to give two big ideas and one illustration. There you go. Um, so the first big idea that Paul gives is that the reason why you would not want to continue to keep sinning is because you are set free from sin. It's this image of that sin had enslaved you, and now because of Jesus, we are set free from a life of compulsion of sin. We are set free from it. So when we think of sin, the most common understanding of sin is we think of sin as being something bad we do that is wrong, right? We think of actions. And so don't tell a lie, it's wrong. So when I tell a lie, it's a momentary, whoops, I'm usually a truthful person, I told a lie, it's a mistake. Well, then Jesus goes on and expands, like, by the way, sin is not just your actions. Sin can be your thoughts, right? Jesus says, don't, you know, just the idea of anger towards your brother can be considered sinful. And so it's not just actions, it's thoughts. It can even be motivations, right? In uh, the Old Testament, they talk about how Israel was performing all the ceremonies of God right, 
but their hearts were far from God. And he's like, wow, you're sinful in your motivation. The Bible talks about sin not just as these things we do, these temporarily whoops moments, but it's actually something we're born into. It's something we are stuck and enslaved. In the same way, if I was covered in ink, everything I touch would be now covered in ink. That's sin. We are stained. We are cut off from God, and everything we do ends up being sinful. We are stuck, unable to help ourselves. The problem of sin is that sin also lies. Because whenever we talk about sinful actions, there is so much deception going on in our own minds and our own hearts. It's hard for us to see kind of what is real. Because a common lie of sin is, number one, it's not that bad. Right? It's tax season. Some of you buried your head in the sand. Some of you guys are actually collecting forms and you're organizing. It's like, how do you make it in this world? Well, maybe you should cheat on your taxes. It's not that bad. Or sometimes sin, we're told it's actually part of the good life. It's expected you don't really tell your spouse the full truth on certain things because that's just going to cause a lot of friction in your marriage. So just little lies every now and then. It's just fine. It's just the way we live. It's not that bad. And we start to lie to ourselves that it's not that bad. It's actually maybe sometimes sin can be considered a virtue, right? Men, climbing a corporate ladder and making much of yourself means you're going to have to ignore your family. And if you want to have that good life of providing for your family, you're going to have to ignore them in the process. It's just assumed in our culture at times. And it's a lie. And we think it's virtue, but it's actually destruction. And one of the lies is it think, we start to think that the slavery of sin is actually the freedom. <laughs> think of what our world does in sexuality. I'm free to do whatever I want with whoever I want, however I want. That's what freedom is. And then you look at the statistics, it's like, it sounds like it's a destructive lifestyle. It doesn't sound like joy. It sounds like prison. I'm free to take any drug, ingest anything into my body. I can do what I want. And they have meetings for people who can't get free from that. It's, it's slavery. We see the patterns of you know, generational things of people who gossip, of people who have resentment and bitterness. It's like, Sin, it lies to you, and you think it's not a big deal, but it ends up being enslaving, and you're stuck, and you believe the lie. And so Paul, here he is saying, you're free from it. But believe it or not, because Jesus has conquered Satan and sin, we're free from the slavery of sin. It no longer reigns and dominates us. The book of Colossians, the same author, Paul, he's writing to this one church, and he describes, he says, We've, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness. And he has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Really, you're, sl- you're, you're enslaved, you're in some hostile country, you cannot free yourself. And Jesus swoops in and he delivers you from that domain of darkness. And now you are set free. We're free from sin. And so... If you look back at Romans chapter 6, look at that second verse he says there. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Right? That original question, can we just keep on sinning? It's like asking this kind of a question. So if Jesus has delivered me and he has rescued me free from the prison of sin, and I'm set free, 
can I run back to my jail cell? Because there's a bed there, and someone brought me some meals. And I know they, they can't hold me any longer, but it's really comfortable. I made some friends. It was great. Um, a, an hour in the yard, someone cleans up after you. It's, it's not so bad. <laughs> in uh, the book of Exodus, Israel was enslaved by Egypt. And they get out into freedom, and they complain and say, it was better back in Egypt. We run back to our sin. There's so many illustrations of this. If Jesus rose us from the grave, it's almost like we say, let's run back to our coffin. It's really comfortable. It's got a pillow. It's nice. And for so many of us, as absurd as that would be, that's how we choose to live our Christian life. Jesus has set you free of the things that are binding you and shackling you. And we tend to say, ah, it, it feels like freedom if I keep doing it. He'll forgive it anyways. And we don't realize we're just running back in and we're, we're, we're taking mail at prison instead of living the free life. We just tolerate it. It's not that big of a deal. He's going to forgive it anyways, right? You know, it, it, it's interesting. Uh, I've been doing some home renovation. Um, we're doing our, I'm redoing our flooring, like, it was like five square feet at a time. Um, in 2026, I will be done. <laughs> um, but eventually, I pulled off some baseboards, and I saw those little, um, I forgot what it's called, but basically it's the little termite droppings in one of the walls. And it's like, ah, oh, termites. And then all of a sudden, all the thoughts are going through my mind. And uh, I have a good friend, Kevin Marsden. He was an elder here at the church, um, Bert and Sherry Alcorn. It's Sherry's dad. Um, for those who know them. He comes over, takes a look at the termites, and his response was just like, well, every house has termites. And so that actually like relieved the pressure a little bit for me. And he's just like, yeah, you just gotta, you know, you should tent the house. Of course you should tent the house, but we, we can do some local treatments. But imagine my attitude of like, well, if every house has termites, why even, why even fight them? Like, that'd be absurd. For some of you guys, your life has termites. <laughs> and you've chosen just like, I'm going to hold on to this sin. And I don't even have to tell you what the sin is. You know what it is. You're thinking of it right now. <laughs> it's different for every single one here. And I want to offer you a challenge. Wage war and leave that life behind. And fight your sin. Jesus has set you free from this. And so now the same spirit, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is now alive in you. And so fight. Stop <laughs> feeding and aiding and abetting the enemy of your own life. Stop believing the lie. Stop living in prison. And fight it. It's not good for you. It's not okay. Yes, you'll be forgiven. Yes, there's grace. But there's also freedom. Imagine a life free of that. And Jesus is saying, it's there for you. Wage war. I can't help but think of as a dad. So much of the battles in my life changed once I became a dad of like, this isn't just a me thing anymore. This isn't just a me and Courtney thing. Now I am waging war on behalf of my children. Do, do I want them to have an angry dad? Do I want to keep passing this along generation after generation? Wage war on your anger. Do I want them to keep learning how to be bitter and resentful? Wage war on all the things that come out of your heart. 
It's not easy. <laughs> Sin doesn't give up, but it is defeated. And in this challenge I want to offer you guys, there's also the wisdom of grab someone in your community group. Grab someone who you know and say, I need you in this battle with me. Fight it. You can have victory. Don't believe the lie that it will always win. Jesus has defeated this sin for you. You can have victory. Now walk in it. And then walk in it. And then walk in it. If you're worried about grace abounding in your life, don't worry. Try to fight your sin. You're going to see plenty of grace. <laughs> right? In one sense, we're going to die continuing to sin because there's that much sin in our life. But he has set you free. And it will be forgiven. And there is grace but he's invited you into such a better and free life. Wage war. So the first thing he has there, his first big idea is you're free from it. His next big idea is this overwhelming idea. I, this is one I'm going to struggle with and trying to explain because it honestly is a mystical idea. It is that we have union with God. Now, more often than not, when we talk about our relationship with God, we use words that are true but actually fall short. Sometimes we talk about following Jesus, right, where he's an example to live, where in the same way, you know, Jesus was kind to people, okay, then I will follow his example, I'll also be kind. Oh, Jesus taught this, okay, I will also teach that. And we, we think of Jesus as an example to follow, that's true. Sometimes we think of him as being someone who is near to us. Right, where we can live our life, it's as if Jesus was at work with you. It's as if Jesus was at the dinner table with your family. It's as if Jesus is with you. And we think of it in terms of proximity. The Bible teaches way more than that. It teaches that we are united in Christ. That there is you, there is God, and then at the moment of salvation, you are one with Christ. That's why it doesn't say walk next to the Spirit. It says walk in the Spirit. <laughs> we are in Christ. Uh, keep your finger in Romans chapter 6 and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. There's two verses here. These are two verses that everyone should memorize. They, just, they will shape so much of your thoughts. But in 2 Corinthians 5.17, in talking about what happens when we are saved, it's, all, it's also there on the screen for you is that therefore, if anyone is not forgiven, although that's true, not someone who chooses to follow Jesus, in Christ, if you are in Christ, you're a new creation. The old has passed away, the, the new has come. That describes that we are now in him. We are united with him. Another amazing chapter to, to think of is in the book of John chapter 15. Many of you are new to Anthem, but those of you who've been around for more than 12 months, it was exactly this time last year that we were in John chapter 15, and we talked about this life of being with God. That as Christians, we don't want to just do things on behalf of what God wants us to do. We don't just do things for God, you know, as kind of his sent ones, although that is also true. In the same way, we don't do things out of obligation. It's like we now get to do our whole life with God. And in John chapter 15, here's the last night of Jesus before he is betrayed, and he's telling his followers, he's not telling them all these things that they're supposed to do for him anymore. 
He is reminding them, we are together. We are one. Just like a tree has branches and the tree is functionally one tree, you and I are functionally one. Apart from me, you can't do anything. Oh, you can preach sermons, you can try to help this world, you can seek change, but you really can't accomplish anything apart from Jesus. We're united with him. And so in John chapter 15, he used the same word 15 times. Abide, 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 abide. He keeps going. Some chapters say the word remain. Saying you don't have to do anything. You just got to stay in union with me. I've already done this for you. By the way, you don't accomplish a union. It's not like a level you achieve. You are united with him. Some of the implications for this. If we are united with Jesus, most of the time scripture talks about that that means when we read about Jesus' life, you get credit for all of that, and you are with him through that. This is the whole mystical thing that's going to make your brain kind of break a little bit. But because of what Jesus has done, we now get credit for what he did. I, I had you turn to 2 Corinthians. Remember he says, if he's in Christ, he's a new creation. Well, look at this. Verse 21 of that same chapter, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. It says, God made him who knew no sin, that's Jesus, to be sin for us so that we might become the thing that we actually are now, the righteousness of God. So Jesus' ability to live the perfect life, guess what? You have credit for it. It's as if you did it because you are united with him. But what they talk the most about when it comes to union is Jesus' death and his resurrection. The book of Galatians in 2.20, he says that I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I don't know about you guys, but you can look back in my history and never once was I crucified on a cross. But he says this is the mystical union that we have a life with God. Yes, you have. That when Jesus was crucified on the cross, it's as if you were crucified on the cross because you were united with him. And so the payment of all the sin that you're so worried about is paid because you were crucified because you are in Christ. But the good news is you don't stay crucified. We're united in his crucifixion, but we're also united in his resurrection. And so the next implication isn't just Jesus' past is now given to you. It's that your future is now always with God. There will never be a moment in your life from this point to your death, and then after your death, you are always with God. Now, some new age wants to say this is where we can become God. So you don't become God. He's still God. You are not. But in some mystical way, we are brought into the person of God. And so when he rose from the dead, Scripture uses that as a promise of, well, don't you know you're going to rise from the dead because you're in Christ? And he, that's what we do now. He rose from the dead, therefore you rise from the dead. You're in him. And so look back on Romans chapter 6. We're, gonna, we're, gonna done, with, we're done with 2 Corinthians. Look at verse 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. That is really good news, you guys. As a follower of Jesus, I don't have to fear death. I'm united. 
I am promised a resurrection because his resurrection is a historical fact. We know what happens. It's ours. It will be ours. And so this union with God, it begins now and it goes forever and ever and ever into the ends of eternity. We are in Christ forever. We are in the Spirit forever. That original question Paul asked of, shouldn't we just keep on sinning? The union with God is like, why would you? That's a weird question to ask. You're united, you're one in God. That's the wrong question to ask because there's a better life now for you. On January 26, 2007, I stood up on a stage with my, not wife yet, and we said, I do. And imagine from that moment, if based on her vows and based on her character, I went off to all my friends and said, can you believe, did you hear what she said? She promised to keep me for better, for worse, for sickness, poor. I can do whatever I want and she's going to take me back. This is fantastic. And the worse I act, the better her character is going to shine. That's exactly what Paul just said about us with God. There's no difference. (laughs) Think about that. It's like, why would you want that marriage? Why would you want that life? Why would you want that relationship with God? What's interesting is this is an exact image that God gives in the Bible. The book of Hosea is one of the most wild books in the Bible. And here God, he tells a prophet by the name of Hosea, and he says, I want you to intentionally marry a prostitute, and you're going to be faithful to her, and she is not. She's going to keep on acting and living as a prostitute, and you're going to have to buy her back home time and time and time again. And it's this giant image of that's the way we kind of live with God. Now, the amazing thing of God's goodness is he will buy you back time and time and time and time again. But we can also embrace and have union with a God who loves us, who forgives us, and who is with us. And it's such a better life than the slavery of sin. Why would you want that? There's something new. When we are a new life, we're a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. It reminds me of when my children were born. That you were, think about this. You were designed by God to breathe air. That's that's what your lungs do. You don't know that. But when you were in the womb, you didn't breathe air. You breathed, I can't say the word, with Amy. (laughs) That's all you breathed. But eventually, when when you're born, spit that out, and you start to breathe air. And you can never breathe water ever again. It's wrong for you. You'll choke on it. When you're in Christ, you were born in sin. You were covered in sin. And now you're a new creation. And the sin, it's like, why, why can't I just keep breathing water? Can I just hold my head under water longer and just live this life? It's not what you're designed for. You're designed for this union with God. And Jesus has given it to you. Breathe life. Breathe air. That's what he's calling us into. Those are his two big ideas, and now he gives actually a giant illustration. I know I'm 
peppering all sorts of illustrations. He's got the best one. And his big illustration he gives for this new life is that of baptism. Now, um, I love this passage because I think I've gone and I've sat down at 507 with somebody and walked through this passage probably 25 times in my life. Because if you want to get baptized, we're going to study Romans 6, verses 1 through 11. Because that's what this describes. So um, something kind of fun, by the way, is uh, next week we're going to have some baptisms here on Sunday. Also March 12th. And I'm going to tell you right now, after I talk about baptism, I'm going to look at you guys and say, get baptized. Why aren't you? Um, So (laughs) that's coming. But uh, a few things about baptism is we do not believe that you have to be baptized to be saved. Right? There's, it's not like if you die and then God's like, oh, you forgot the baptism part? Yeah. Um, no. It's not required. Jesus commands it. It is commanded by God. So in one sense, you need to have a compelling reason why you would disobey a command of God to not be baptized. Um, just so you know. So um, when in doubt, be baptized. Um, but it is a public declaration of what God has actually done inside. Believe it or not, God gives us as this massive visual aid to understand some of the things that happened in our hearts and our soul when we we became a follower of Jesus. And so it's this huge visual aid. It's this huge object lesson. And there's kind of two main things it symbolizes. One is we think of it as a ceremonial washing. I think of 1 John 1, 9. Right? It says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so we can think of it as, okay, you're going up there, it's this big old dunk tank, it's a big bath, and we are ceremonially seeing that all the guilt, all the sin, all the shame, it's removed. And we don't believe that this water literally, you know, in front of me is what's cleaning your sin. Jesus did that. The Holy Spirit did that. Um, And so it's this beautiful symbol of ceremonial washing that that's what God did to you. And that's true, but that's actually not the main image of baptism. Do you guys know that? The point of baptism is to symbolize our union with God. So you, you see it right here, that as we are baptizing someone, the symbol is that we are lowering them into their grave. Do you guys know that? It's kind of a morbid thought. Look at verse 4 of Romans chapter 6. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. It's an image of we are laying our old way of life. It died. It was crucified. It was laid in the grave. We don't leave people under, though. We bring them back up. (laughs) And it symbolizes the new life, the resurrection from the grave, that in the same way we are in him, with his, bap- with his death, we are in him in the resurrection. Isn't that amazing? That is crazy. In the same way, the, the waters, they represent, the word baptize, it's, it's Greek, it's baptizio. It means to immerse into something. And so this is a word that would be used if we are trying to make a tie-dye shirt. Right? You have your white shirt, you have your swirl of reds and yellows and blues, and you take the shirt and you do that scrunch thing, you kind of dip it in there, you pull it out, and now the shirt forever takes on the properties of the thing it was baptized into. That's the difference between washing and baptizing. And so this shirt 
forever will have the swirl of the red and the yellow and the blue, right? It, it's, it, it's now a tie-dye shirt. It is inseparable. It takes on the qualities of the thing it was baptized into. Hear this. We are baptized not into water. We're baptized into the Spirit, which means we are brought into the person of God, and now our life is taking on the qualities of God. And so we are generous, not because God commands us to be generous, but because we are baptized into a generous God, and now generosity is now growing in my heart. We aren't loving because we should. We are loving because he is a loving God, and we were dipped into him. We are baptized into him, and now we take on the qualities of God. Isn't that amazing? It's like, what an incredible image. And so next week when we see someone being baptized, I want you to think about that. It's not just the removal of sin. It is someone saying, I am with him in his death. I am with him in his life. And now I am taking on the qualities of God. And they are increasingly being displayed in my life. That's incredible. By the way, if you're not baptized, here's the point. Get baptized. Jump in right now. That HAYO form, the 51555 text HAYO, it has a link saying, I want to be baptized. It'll email us that thing, and we'll reach out to you. We'll have a conversation. Like, be baptized. There's no reason not to. We would love to celebrate this and publicly show the world what God has done in your life. Do it. But this union with God, if there's a challenge from the previous one about waging war on your sin, this one, there's an invitation you can be with God. In fact, you are with God for the rest of your life if you're in Christ. You can now walk in union with him. And the fact that his righteousness is given to you, when you look in that mirror, all too often, even as Christians, we feel guilt and shame of all the things that we aren't, and that is a lie. You can see the righteousness of Christ in the mirror. There's a reason why he calls you holy. It's because you are. There's a reason why he calls you. <laughs> we are being made perfect. And the invitation is you can see yourself the way you see Jesus. There's freedom in that. You don't have to live a life alone. He's with you. You are in him. Psalm 39, 139, he says, where could I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? He's there. And there's an invitation to this life in the spirit. Don't settle for just living in the power of God. You can have the presence of God with you. He's already there. It's just a matter of us choosing <laughs> to live in light of that, that truth. And so, I'm going to have the band come up, and we're going to respond. In this, there, there's some really big ideas. There's some really big concepts that are going on. And I don't know where you are. For some of you guys, you just need to hear this and say, I need to become a follower of Jesus. So I want that. Do it. For some of you, there's the challenge to wage war on your sin. Do it. Talk to somebody. Tell them now. Say, I need your help to fight this thing. I'm tired of letting it go. I'm tired of feeding it. I want to wage war. 
And some of you, you just need to make the amazing, God, I want to live with you. I want that life of union. You've done it for me. I want to walk in this now. So we're going to respond in a bunch of different ways. But I want to let you know, and I want to tell you, there's freedom in this room to respond however you see fit. I would love nothing more than if you ignore the rest of my words and do what you think God is laying on your heart to do right now. That's what we want. That's how we respond to the word of God. There's a few things that we're going to do in this room, though. We're going to get up and we're going to move around a lot. We're going to sing. They're going to sing songs. We've got tons of time. This is awesome. <laughs> sing songs. Sing loud and proud. doesn't matter if you're on note, out of note, whatever. I sing loud. It's great. I'm not a singer. We also take communion. Communion is with union. We are reminded that through Jesus' broken body is this cracker, through his shed blood that is this juice, we take it reminding that we are one in Christ, that we were with him on the cross, we are with him in the grave, and we are with him in the resurrection. And so as we take communion, you're reminding yourself of what is true. Do it. Do it with others. Sometimes you need to have someone say, Matt, I need you to pray for me. My head, I can't get there today. Please, would you, would you minister to me? Take communion together. We also, we have a prayer team. I see uh, Doug. I see Jen. I see Celeste. A uh, ton of folks. If you know someone in the room, grab them as well. We want to we pray. Because we, we can't do this life alone. We want to walk together. We respond by giving, just like I talked about how we are baptized into a generous God. We are generous with our finances. We're generous with our life. And so we just want to respond to God. And so I'm going to close this in prayer. And my hope is that, God, that we would say yes to whatever it is the Spirit is leading you to do right now in this moment. Jesus, I cannot believe all that is true. God, that in the same way you left the grave, Lord, so will I. And you have accomplished this in Jesus through your death and through your resurrection, Lord. We have life and we have freedom from sin. So God, I pray that we would wage war knowing that you've already won. God, set us free from the captivity of what sin is, from the lies of what it is. God, I pray right now that as we often think of ourselves as lonely, Lord, whatever it is that you are doing in our hearts, you are here. Lord, you hear our thoughts. You are with us. And Spirit, we actually find out that right now you are praying for us, Holy Spirit, with utterances too deep for words, praying for our freedom, praying for us to live in this union. So God, I pray we would respond. God, that we would say no to the voices that say what is socially acceptable or what we should do, but that we would say yes and amen to all the things that you are leading us to do. We don't want to respond in just a moment. We want to respond with our whole life. But God, we present this moment to you to move our hearts, to open us up, to set us free. Amen.